Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. The scripture reading for this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory that which lasts. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. In the early 90s, there was an expression of freedom that we can probably learn from. 
It actually occurred in the city of Sarajevo in Bosnia during the Bosnian War. Bosnia was under siege and daily for four years practically um, Sarajevo's in kind of a valley surrounded by mountains so very easy to take advantage of. Shells rained down from the hills into the city and one day in particular, one of those shells struck near a bakery where there was a lineup of people waiting to buy bread. 22 people died at that moment. For the next 22 days, a cellist named Verdan Smilovich played a piece of music, a lament, the same lament each day for 22 days to mourn the loss of those 22 people. He played that right in the city square, in a place of danger. We'll come back to that a little bit more. But during a war, during a siege, following the killing of innocent people, this musician still dared to perform this sacrificial act of mercy, a selfless, beautiful act to express sadness, but also an intentional action to express hope in the midst of tragedy. This was a radical act of freedom. But can we learn from it? Might this be one way to, fill, to fulfill the expression, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom? Might it be a model of being present no matter what is happening around us? Second Corinthians, was a letter written to address freedom. But first, just a little background on the city of Corinth. And unfortunately, I don't have the PowerPoint slide. It was a picture, an awesome picture, of, um, of the area where Corinth is, so I'm going to describe it. Uh, Corinth is in Greece, and... Um, no, so, uh, anyway, it's situated right in an isthmus, which is a, just a narrow strip of land, between the mainland of Greece up on top and then the Isthmus and then the southern part of Greece, often called the Peloponnesus. And this was a very strategic area, both militarily but also for trading. And because the seas around the southern part of Greece were often very rough, um, you know, you could take a chance on sailing a ship around there once a year, but if you went a second time, you were really pushing your luck. It was that dangerous. So what, what the, um, the ancient Greeks did was they created a road across that isthmus, seven kilometers wide or long. I mean, the isthmus was seven kilometers wide, uh, paved, and that's where they dragged their boats across. So this was a significant 
uh, city in ancient Greece, one of the 10 most important cities, the biggest cities in ancient times. Paul, the writer of 2 Corinthians, probably spent a couple of years in Corinth, working on his tent making in a small downtown booth, and engaged in ministry with Aquila and Priscilla, sharing the gospel of Christ in the city square. But this is also the place where a lot of conflict arose. False teachers, generally of Jewish background, were questioning his credibility, suggesting he was collecting money for the poor people back in Jerusalem simply to line his own pockets. So the second letter to the Corinthians finds Paul trying to establish his own credibility in the first chapters and then inciting the Corinthian Christians to give generously in sharing the needs of others. In the final chapters of 2 Corinthians, Paul is even forced into some boasting, proving these false teachers to these false teachers that their background of being Hebrew, descendants of Abraham, didn't hold water because Paul himself was a Jew. He was very familiar with the background of where they had come from. A significant point of conflict with these false teachers came with their emphasis on the law. The law was paramount. Law gave life. They might have even quoted Psalm 19, verses 7 to 8, where the law, I, I don't see, ever see uh, the slide, so anyway, thank you. By the way, the law is uh, given four different descriptors here. They're underlined. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. However, this emphasis on the law among these false teachers failed to recognize the new covenant spoken of in Jer Jeremiah 32, where Jesus is celebrated as a fulfillment of the law. In these verses, Jeremiah is inspired to write these words. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. So imagine Paul, armed with the gospel of Christ, speaking in the city squares of Corinth, this enviable city of the ancient world. Imagine Paul declaring, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Imagine Paul defending this new covenant in the midst of false teachers who remain totally focused on the law, on the old covenant. He goes so far as to say that the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. This background helps us to understand 2 Corinthians, but how might this relate to some struggles we have in our lives today or in the Christian church today? 
One correlation might be in our bondage to exactitude, being chained to doctrine or tradition. When tensions mount in the Christian church, people frequently pull back into more rigid policies and rules for living. We have trouble leaving room for ongoing transformation, for the unpredictable, for a new way. When we feel insecure, we desire very definite guidelines on what our next step should be. We want a strong statement to guide us. We have difficulty listening for the Spirit's movement. We seldom leave room for the mystery of God. Sometimes we feel more secure by jumping on a bandwagon, a group of people often led through social media to proclaim truth and sometimes even reciting a verse such as John 8 verse 12 where it says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. As if the truth was wrapped up in a set of laws in some very specific words. What this verse fails to recognize is the preceding words in John 8. It says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if you hold to my teaching, Jesus says, and that teaching was love, compassion, love for God, love for one another, and love even for ourselves in who God created us to be. Let's revisit what Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 3. He does challenge the false teachers, or how does he challenge the false teachers while simultaneously encouraging those faithful to the gospel? Where does he provide hope for these early followers of Jesus? I'd like to review five statements Paul makes in 2 Corinthians 3 and to how each of these reflects freedom in the Spirit. So and if you could keep this slide up for a while because I'll be dwelling on these for a while. In verse 2, it says, You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. In verse 6, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. In 11, if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? In verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And finally, the last verse, 18, we all are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory. So let's look at each of these five statements of Paul in a little more depth. But rather than repeating them from the NIV, I'll quote each of the above verses again from the message and then expand on them. The message being a paraphrase of the Bible by Eugene Peterson. So the first one, 
As the message reads, you yourselves are all the endorsement we need. Your very lives are a letter that anyone can read by just looking at you. So the false teachers in Corinth were working hard to sell themselves. They were bent on finding endorsement from other people to justify their own ministry. Paul simply suggests that a life in Christ, in the Spirit, is all the endorsement they needed. So he challenged the Corinthian Christians to allow God's presence, his Spirit, to live in and through their lives. The second verse, only God can write such a letter. His letter authorizes us to help carry out this new plan of action. Jesus set the early Christians free. Jesus was the culmination of the law, according to Romans 10. If the Christians in Corinth would grow to recognize the powerlessness of the law to save them, and seek Jesus first and foremost, Jesus would provide each believer with love for God's law and with the power to keep it, something they previously could not do. The third one, and this one speaks for itself. Bright as that old government was, it would look downright dull alongside this new one. If that makeshift arrangement impressed us, how much more this brightly shining government installed for eternity? On to the fourth verse. With that kind of hope to excite us, nothing holds us back. The Corinthian Christians needed to be rooted and connected to the source of all things to prosper. They needed to be firmly planted in God's garden, like the metaphor in Psalm 1, planted by streams of water, where the ground is never dry and where every seed yields its fruit. And then finally, the last verse, and so we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. Jesus lived in the Spirit and sent us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who gives life, abundant life, perhaps not in the terms we often give abundant life, popularity, prestige, power, but, but abundant life in compassion, in love, in hope, or abundance in the fruit of the Spirit. So we re we've reflected a little on how Paul encouraged Christ followers in Corinth, but let's develop the gospel in this text even more specifically for today. Earlier, I made some references to how we are sometimes drawn to live with the facts, with statement of doctrines, important as these are, or with some other form of precise thinking. It's like we place God in our pocket where we can control him. What we need is to continue to be transformed by his spirit, both individually and communally, allowing God's presence to be present in our lives.
We need to accept God's gift of ourselves, the person he has made us to be, the gifts he allows us to share with others each day, not only relationally, but in every aspect of our daily lives. So consider a few examples. Are we accepting God's gifts to us in our work, in our business, in our entrepreneurial activity, in playfulness, in humor, thereby brightening the lives of others? Are we accepting God's gifts to us as we develop leadership skills, provide thoughtful research, or create a piece of visual art or music? Are we accepting God's gifts to us as we make peace with others in our families or in our communities, or even when we give honest expression to our doubts and questions? We need to see a world where God is in all things. Not a moment of each day goes by where God is not present. So are we noticing God at home, at work, at play, during vacation, in our struggles? A quote from Calvin's commentary reiterates how our verse today can speak into our lives. Observe that the design of the gospel is this, that the image of God, which had been effaced by sin, may be stamped anew upon us, and that the advancement of this restoration may be continually going forward in us during our whole life. In our culture, not unlike most cultures in the history of the world, there is much desire for freedom. Freedom is a deep need in each of us. To experience true freedom, to be present in the Lord's presence, we must be grounded in the eternal, to be aware of our triune God, to be open to surprise and mystery. He created us as unique people living in community with one another. He redeemed us. He forgave us. And forgiveness provides a kind of reset, a reset that allows all the unnecessary relational fog to clear, allowing us to see. He is constant in his desire to see us live lives of shalom, where we sense a wholeness, a completeness, where everything belongs. Everything connects in this world. Sometimes we simply need to recognize where God is already at work in our lives, in our communities, and join him in that work. The cellist in Sarajevo responded to the need of the moment, used his particular gift, was unhindered by fear, and provided an expression of beauty and hope 
to his community, indeed, to the entire world. Each day, we too have the opportunity to be present in his presence. Let's pray. To be present in your presence, triune God, is indeed a gift, an opportunity, a statement that we can make in this world so that others might read our lives and know in, in no uncertain terms that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.